0: What I see too often is with, you know, the shiny objects, the the shiny tools and systems that corporations have at their disposal, they become very fractured environments and not woven together or part of a digital ecosystem where it's easy for people to navigate or to move from one zone to another. what Ross and team have done is they've made that they've made that experience seamless and cohesive to the people that need to experience.
1: We're able to do, the technology is allowing us to rethink the entire model for doing higher education and, and where the power is, how the conversation works, and how we best use our time and our resource. And it means that much more now is about ideas, much more is about creativity.
2: You know what? Much more is about learning. Today's episode with Lauren L. Vargas and Professor Dr. Ross Parry from the University of Leicester is a little bit different. Um, it's to do with the concept of the digital campus, which is something the universities around the world have been talking about for quite a while. But the University of Leicester, which is a really interesting, dynamic, innovative university in the centre of the UK Um, has been doing some really advanced work taking this concept of the digital campus into quite a new realm, I think. Um, I think it's really interesting listening uh, to today's episode um, through the lens of your organisation, whether you're in the public sector or corporate sector, what about if you think of yourselves as having a campus, having a digital campus for your employee population, your contractors, your freelancers? Because essentially all organisations at least aspire to be learning organisations. They want to learn, they want to advance. So the question to have in your mind is, what can we learn here about the way a, an innovative university takes the concept of the digital campus forward? So with that, I give you Lauren L Vargas and Professor Dr Ross Parry. Well, I'm delighted to be joined uh, by my two guests today, to talk about the topic of the digital campus and all will be revealed and explained by what we mean by that term. Um, my guests today are Ross Parry. Ross is a professor and deputy pro-vice-chancellor for digital at the University of Leicester. Uh, Ross also has a PhD, a doctorate in early Stuart culture and historical computing. And my first question is going to be to ask Ross how to explain that. But before I do, I will just also introduce my other guest today, which is Lauren L Vargas. So that's uh, L. And she is a uh, digital fellow at the University of Leicester. And, and by day, L describes herself as a digital dragon wrangler, assisting companies with their community and communication strategies. She's a one-by-one one digital fellow at the University of Leicester and has a fascinating work that she's doing at the moment, working with two, university, uh, two museums, the National Army Museum in London and the Museum of London, and uh, has a previous background with Fidelity Investments and and also in the Department of Defense, so it's fantastic to be joined by both of you today. And 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 Ross, what 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 is what's the relationship between early Stuart culture and and historical computing?
1: <laughs> it it seems bizarre, doesn't it, to suddenly talk about the Renaissance and a moment that's pre digital, and then suddenly to talk about technology and computing in the middle of it. Um, I was trained as a historian, an an early modern historian, a historian of of the the English Renaissance and the the princes uh, and the kings of of the early Stuart court. And I was interested in the ways in which computing affected the way we write history. So if you're a historian that only ever uses words, that only ever uses text, that only ever uses kind of written documents, and then you choose to publish in the linear format of a a monograph or the the conventions and orthodoxies of an academic journal – I think it affects the way that you can present that history. It, it limits the types of stories you can tell. So I was interested in telling a story not of civil wars and of causes and effects, but actually of, of space. It was a history of early Stuart space, distance, movement, measurement, seeing, uh, imaginary space. So if you equip yourself with a, a three dimensional um, a visualization package like CAD. Suddenly you can not just write essays and strings of words, but suddenly you can present spaces and sight lines and vistas and enfilades through a royal palace. And that's what I was interested in. I was interested in those early exhibition spaces of the Renaissance. So actually it was about using computing to help you write a new history, but actually also it was about understanding how those those renaissance courtiers were actually drawing upon their own new technologies they were they were drawing on mnemonics um, uh, remembering techniques they were drawing on visual perspective they were using new theatrical display technologies of mechanics so they were using their own technologies to change their environment to change their workspace and i was interested in the way that that affected how they managed information constructed knowledge and communicated Mm. to each other so actually i think there's quite a, a short connection between the two
2: yeah and and when you explain it like that it it really makes me think that you know we think of computing and and digital as being a a a modern um 20th century 21st century sort of innovation but obviously it's 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 all about creation of an innovation with tools if you like over time and and systems and l what's What's the relation? I mean, how did you end up getting involved in in where you and, and Ross uh, kind of um, intersect, which is around the museum sector and digital?
0: Yes, I'm very lucky to have Ross as my PhD supervisor, advisor, and also being now working with him in another context as a one by one digital fellow uh, through the University of Leicester.
2: Um. Fantastic. And, and do you think, because when I was listening to Ross talking about the relationship between um, uh, the Renaissance and, and, and historical computing, it made me think that um, what, when we think about the, the systems and technologies that we've created, they are actually iterations of, of, if you like, a tool-based culture. Uh, and somebody uh, on a, on a uh, podcast I was listening to was talking about, if you'd go back to um, Egyptian history and the process that we we all look at aghast still, it's like, how were the pyramids, how, were the, how, was, how was that created? How was that done? And it was really by taking human beings and, and, and if you like, creating a, a machine um a connected system uh, of construction and so it's 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 interesting to think about that um so so the question that i want to ask you al just um, as we get into things uh because we're going to start talking about the digital campus today but uh, one of the questions i like to ask my guests is because this is the digital workplace impact podcast um what, what did you expect of work um what did you think it would be like before you started work
0: like the beginning of my my career post post college, that type well, of work. Well, when you
2: were when you were a teenager, what did you think work was going to be like? <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a great question. I, 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 I knew it would be challenging. I knew, you know, I, I had this inkling that I would. Um, you know, be stuck in an office all day long. And kind of, I I thought that there would be some routine to work. And I was happily surprised that there is no such thing as routine or a typical day. And that has especially come to fruition through the digital age.
2: Mm. Interesting. So was it, has it been different to what you expected?
0: Oh, very, very different, very different than what I expected.
2: Yes. Hmm. Mm. And then, and then, the other question, just so related to this, is is what is a uh, digital dragon wrangler, which I sort of described you as, hopefully uh, accurately, since I'm sure those are words that you describe yourself as. <laughs>
0: I, I really like to immerse myself in the problems surrounding digital that that most people don't really want to acknowledge or find it very difficult to acknowledge or overwhelming to acknowledge. Meaning the the governance, the the infrastructure, information architecture, the kind of unsexy side of digital. I. I really make it my mission to understand how all of those components work together and how they can enable a better digital experience and putting that in a language and a, a systems thinking approach that can help anybody understand how they can weave in those concepts, weave in that scaffolding to to ensure that everybody is benefiting from the digital experience they hope to, to enable, to build.
2: Mm. Great, and um, Ross, um, what, what? So, what, what? What? did you think work was going to be like before you you did this this strange thing called work? Yeah,
1: this strange thing. I, I wish I could I could talk to my teenage self back in the last <laughs> century and and say to him, "Don't worry, it's going to be fine." Because I I think back then I thought it was going to be about just having a role, just just you know doing something routine, being being a cog in the wheel, and just you know just playing your part. Um, and actually it's not it's this is a, a vocation that i have this is profoundly meaningful the thing i get to do in a very privileged position i think i thought it was going to be about just having certain skills that would allow me to fulfill certain processes and actually my my career and my, my life's been about ideas it's been about creativity it's been about original thinking every day and it's been about you know m- making things and i think i probably thought back then as a teenager that you did all your learning first and then it allowed you to do that role where you were fulfilling a particular process. And actually, now I realize I'm still learning and I still get to learn. So I, mm. I, I want to turn back to my teenage self and say, you know what? It's going to be about ideas. It's going to be about learning all the time. And this is going to be an extraordinary vocation that you're going to get to do you know, for the rest of your life.
2: Great. Yes. Yes. It's it's an interesting idea. What we what we would say to ourselves if we could give our younger selves advice. And and could you just explain this uh, dual role that you have at the University of Leicester?
1: Yeah, sure. Cool. It's 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 a brand new thing for the University of Leicester, and it's it's quite um, it's quite special and unique nationally and internationally. Although we're starting to see more of these roles emerge. So I I have kind of a 50-50 split in in, in my role at the University of Leicester. So half the time I am professor of, of museum studies, so my work is looking at digital heritage, museum computing. This is this whole area of cultural technology. I'm interested in the intersection between digital and 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 culture and heritage and that's anything from how do we organize our digital records and our digital collections through to how do we design experiences for visitors on site and off site um, through digital media and so on and so on and how is the world of digitality affecting our concept of culture and art so you know that that's half of my job is teaching and researching this area and having amazing extraordinary students like 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 lauren come through with her original kind of uh, timely thesis then the other half of my job is is really lucky, actually, I get to apply that thinking and apply some of that scholarship to an administrative and managerial, you know, a leadership role in the university, which is a deputy pro-vice-chancellor digital. We have these str- strange sort of, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings type sort of uh, archaic titles in the university section in the in the UK, so, you know, deputy pro-vice-chancellor. But basically, that means a kind of, you know, a chief digital um, officer or or someone who's kind of le- leading on the, um, an academic lead on the digital strategy. So I get, I get to look after with the director of IT here at the University of Leicester, I get to look after and lead uh, the university's ambitious new digital strategy. And the fun bit is, and I think the bit that's made this so rewarding over the last two and a half years, is that 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 leadership role, that 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 kind of grounded, situated uh, administrative role in the university, is giving me the kind of the insight for my scholarship around digital change within the museum sector. It allows me to get that vantage point and to to, to you know to see and experience what it's like to to lead digital change in a very big, very complex organisation. But equally, hopefully, my scholarship is is adding value to that role. So I'm able to bring a reflectiveness and a thoughtfulness to, 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 to that procedure. So it's not just getting out a standard playbook or a cookie cutter that says this is how you do digital change. It's actually saying, well, why don't we reflect on this? Why don't we learn? Why don't we see? digital transformation at the university is a little bit of a research project and an investigation because university gets to do digital transformation in a slightly different way because we are a uh, an investigative exploratory institution we're full of learners and full of researchers so perhaps that allows us to have a different mindset in the way that we do digital change so (laughs) that's
2: the two sides and 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 uh, for people listening in in lots of different countries who won't be familiar with the university of leicester perhaps um i'm not sure whether one of you could just in a way kind of give people a flavor of the university and and what what makes it distinctive i don't know l whether that's something you could do or, or or whether ross you're better off answering that question well, I could do the kind of the brochure corporate answer. Right. And can
1: give you can give you the real insight, maybe, Lauren, if that's okay, as, a, as the as the uh, the researcher now, the postdoc, and 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 the PhD student within it. yeah you Lester know, Leicester is, um, you know, we're we, you know we're one of the top, uh, you know, 100 universities in the world. We are um, a research active, research led institution. Um, we have a business school and a medical school and a law school and all those things that top flight universities have. We're right bang. In the middle of England, in the mid in, in the middle of the UK, we have about twenty, just under twenty thousand students. Um, uh, half of those, around half of those, are approaching half of those are postgraduates. So we have a very big postgraduate community as, as well as undergraduate community. Um, Leicester is distinctive because of its um, distance learning, its distance ed provision. Um, you know, about a quarter of those students are studying this around the world with our, with our kind of online learning provision that we've been doing for many, many decades now. One of the biggest providers of that in in the UK. And Leicester's known, you know, w- with its you know, multi-sites, we have a, a partnership with Dalian in China. Uh, we're building a, a space park at the moment. You know, we, we, we're known for... Um, you know, without with what 3,000 members of staff that we have and what, 330 million turnover. We're, we're known for real insights in genetics. Um, DNA fingerprinting was 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 invented in Leicester in the 1970s. We've been putting something up in space for every year for the last 50 years. Space components and instrumentation is what Leicester's known for. And uh, we found the mortal remains of a Plantagenet king a few years ago. So our archaeology is very world famous. The mortal remains of Richard Third were found by our archaeologists. And I have to say we have the biggest and oldest and best um, curatorial museum training providing uh, program in the world. We, we've been going since 1966, training the world's museum curators. So students from 20 different countries come to Leicester every year to train to become curators. So that, that that's mm. the official version. So Lauren, you should probably mm. give us the rough guide. <laughs>
0: Well, I, I benefited from the distance learning program, and for the last four years, that's that's how I've had my connection with the University of Leicester. And I, I have to say that I was very – I was also pleasantly surprised uh, at that experience because I was definitely – I did not feel like I was on my own. I was part of a very supportive community, both the, the physical Leicester-based students and the uh, international distance learning students really come together and share their knowledge, expertise, and empathy, and that has been incredibly beneficial uh, for, for my student career. And and then coming and and being part of the physical campus now as my role as a digital fellow, it's it's equally as welcoming in the physical environment. It's just it's a beautiful campus, and there are a lot of resources. One can't take advantage of them all, and it's just been a very fulfilling experience for for my PhD.
2: That's fantastic, and um, I love the way you d- describe the university, and 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 that's a phenomenal. Um, story really, um, I mean, around the your your role relative to um, space exploration, the the kind of role that the universities had, and um, uh, I and I love the I love the words mortal remains, the mortal remains of Richard the Third, and people won't know, but um, that was found in a car park, wasn't it in in Leicester, and uh, and Richard the Third died. And I only Googled this just now, so I wouldn't have known this off the top of my head, but he died in 1485. Um, but to then discover his remains in a car park um, in the 21st century is is, is, quite, is quite something. One of the things I'm thinking about is, so, Ross, how would you describe this concept of the digital campus, because um, obviously there's a physical campus. And as as Elle says, it's a beautiful physical campus. And I, I really like campuses where they're, they're, they're a kind of, in, you know, they're a sort of place within the city rather than, you know, more distributed across. And it is that. But w- what is the digital campus?
1: I think the first thing to say is that it what it, well, it's not. It's it's not just our web presence. I think I think there are some institutions that that you know that might use that sort of concept and and you know and in a very helpful way for them mean that that's us online. You know that we have a physical campus and then distinct from that we have a we have a digital one. We're, we're using that concept in a slightly different way. Um, in a way, digital campus is is the brand. It's the galvanizing, simple sort of signifier for everything that we're trying to build and do at Leicester. So, you know, our line is we're we're building a digital campus. And by that, we mean we're connecting our data we're understanding the data that we have across the institution whether that's research data learning analytics the administrative data that flows across campus every day the you know the way students are touching their uh, ID cards on lecture theaters and seminar rooms or or the you know the million books in our university library all of which that have an RFID tag at the back of them so that we can see you know kind of you know learning objects flowing around a campus so many different things you know the points of research data that are flowing through all our hundreds of research projects that are live at any one time, those learning journeys on on campus and in our distributive learning community around the world. There's so much data we have. And the digital campus is about understanding that data, those data sets, that data ecology, as as, as Lauren's work would call it, and start to connect it and start to do smart things with it so that we can make informed strategic decisions as an institution with, with that extraordinary rich data set. It's about building the systems that uh, uh, allow those that those bits of data to, to 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 flow. It's about understanding the systems we have and and what new systems teaching, research, administrative, entre, you know, entrepreneur and enterprising that that we need in a complex organisation such as the university. The digital campus also is about the it is about the physical estate. It's understanding those that mobile app in the in the back pocket of the students, you know, the, the My UOL mobile app, which is the way that we push content to students and they can get back to us just, you know, just on a push of a button. It's understanding the you know the Wi-Fi, the the lecture capture, automatic, you know, teaching recording systems that we have in any university now. You know, I, I give a lecture and by the time I've made my way back to my desk, That lecture's been recorded. It's been packaged up. It's sitting in an email for me, ready to edit and then distribute to the students. Um, It's about understanding the sorts of rich social media digital spaces we can build. We built a a digital reading room in our library, open 24-7, bring your own device, plug into a six-foot-high digital wall or an 80-inch interactive 100-point touch table where you can test and demonstrate, show and share, collaborate with students and staff at any time. So it's about those data. It's about the systems. It's about you know the physical objects and the estate we have. But most importantly, the digital campus, I think, is about people. It's about understanding that you can have all the technology in the world. You can have amazing, fast Wi-Fi, open social spaces, ready to plug in your own device, data that can flow in any direction, ready to be informing strategic decisions. But None of it. None of it's of value unless you have staff and students that feel confident to use it. So that's why our digital campus work also sort of defiantly has at the heart of it um, an understanding that it's about developing the digital capability of the workforce and the learning community at the institution as well. So digital campus, it's it's really not just about building a website or, or having an alternative space. It's about understanding that digital DNA within university. And it's about conceiving university as a digital platform. What happens when we try and build a university as a digital platform? And what happens to our aspirations when we see a university not just as a physical venue, but as a digital platform,
2: mm. and and Els, as somebody who, as you said, came to uh, join the university uh, through the online program, what's your experience and relationship with the university been like through? the the kind of manifestation of this digital campus because i know you've obviously had a physical relationship there as well but 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 also you've probably been on the if you like the receiving end or the participating uh side of the digital campus
0: i think that's that's part of what what enabled me to have that welcoming and inclusive experience it's you know the work that Ross and team have done has really taken the physical concept of placemaking, meaning, you know, how do they collectively reimagine and reinvent uh, the public space into a digital space that is the very heart of, of the campus, of the of the of the university community. And being, you know, in, in Boston at the time, I was able to access, I would I was able to access resources, information, um, other, you know, areas of the student community in a very seamless way that enabled a very cohesive experience. And then when I would physically be on the campus, that that journey, that experience was augmented by by the digital connective tissue that they've enabled. Hmm.
2: So so it it's it's got this kind of way of opening up the university to to Um, people who aren't physically there but also that's interesting you say when you actually came to the campus you sort of get when you come to the physical campus you get more of the digital campus as well
0: yes i mean you know it's a gift that keeps giving right it's there are so many layers and what what's i think any any organization, um, no matter what sector you're in, can learn from this type of, of build in seeing that they've really put people at the heart of how they've adapted and adopted that digital placemaking strategy. Uh, they blended the physical and the digital so that they could make the digital experience walkable in the same way that if, you know, having that that mobile app in your back pocket when you're on the physical community can augment that experience as well. And so it's being able to understand how people navigate through your system whether it's physical or digital and create those bridges those safe spaces those crosswalks that enable the type of experience that students that faculty that the greater community um can add or exchange amongst themselves
2: Mm. and and ross gave the example of of what you know after one of the, the one of his lectures by the time he gets back to his uh, his desk that the, the recording's already been distributed and shared could you give me an example Elle of of of, of where you've really kind of benefited from the digital campus in action maybe as some kind of example that kind of really typifies this
0: well it could have easily been a very isolating experience for me had you know completing my PhD um miles you know thousands of miles away from the University of Leicester. And I you know, was able to benefit from online lectures and various resources that were happening, not just within the museum studies um, area, but across the entire university that helped me become a better researcher, that helped me um, have different perspectives or different areas of of research that I had not considered, so it opened up new paths for me to explore as I was learning and adapting and and staying curious in my own journey
2: mm. and you 've had l um, experience uh, obviously in the corporate sector and in in the um, public sphere um, with organizations what what do you think? large corporates can learn from from this digital campus innovation
0: well it's it's not it's taking it's taking an integrated cohesive very considered approach which you know, as Ross said, they don't look at the digital campus as a bolt-on. It is integrated into the DNA of the university, of the student, of the faculty experience. And what I see too often is with, you know, the shiny objects, the, the shiny tools and systems that corporations have at their disposal, they become very fractured environments and not woven together or part of a digital ecosystem where it's easy for people to navigate or to move from one zone to another. And what Ross and team have done is they've made that they've made that experience seamless and cohesive to the people that need to experience. And we have to think about that same type of user experience as we're creating our own digital thinking, whether it's for our internal communities and collaboration or it's for external, you know, B2B, B2C type of relationships.
2: Mm. It's interesting because I, I go into quite a lot of different types of organizations some in the public sphere some in the in the corporate sphere and and, and it's interesting everybody's got effectively you know some version of what we might call a digital campus happening there but but the kind of quality of it the the ease of it the simplicity of it um, I mean it can be like chalk and cheese you know you, you you know go into some situations where you know it 's kind of virtually impossible to get anything done digitally and other places where it's you really feel supported by what 's going on and and your kind of physical interactions there become so um enriched by the digital experience I mean Ross, how has the digital campus do you feel changed the experience of of students um, i mean i 'm interested in sort of what 's the difference between what a student might experience today? Versus what they might have experienced, say ten years ago. Um, what, what's you know from a kind of student perspective, what's different? I think it's a few things, Paul, and I, and I think it's it's for
1: those of us that you know were at university many years ago. I I I think it's worth going back to a university. You know, talk to somebody you know who's at a university now, and I think. You would be quite overwhelmed with how any university campus in the world is, is so utterly different now that now that we have that kind of digital dimension to it. I think we're offering an experience that's seamless. You know, the, the idea is that there aren't kind of pockets of expertise or silos of content or or distributed uh, and isolated uh, bits of expertise or tools that you have to kind of figure out how they all join together and and waste that time and, and learn and learn and orient constantly in a state of orientation as a learner to, to sort of work out what are the protocols and codes for for you know operating this machine called university actually we've We've wiped that away, you know what what digital campus is doing and what the arrival of digital in universities is doing. It's creating an integrated environment now. So you know, when you're in that lecture, your lecture is pointing you towards the reading list that you have up in front of you on your laptop that is connected to the reliable, safe university Wi-Fi. And that reading list is a list of active links that when you click on them, they're pulling down a resource from the university library and presenting the entire book in front of you now. And actually, if there's a title that the lecturer thinks actually needs to be added to that list, the very act of putting it on that list makes the university library purchase it and so on and so on and so on. The way that you move between your virtual learning environment where you're, you know, you're reading that reading list and then you you, you pull upon that content, put it in your essay. It goes into your submission. You don't hand in a piece of paper into a pigeonhole or in an inbox somewhere in an office. You You submit something that then puts your essay through a plagiarism check, checks your essay against thousands of thousands of essays that have been written in your institution and institutions around the world, just to sort of make sure that there hasn't been any self-plagiarism or or you know, referencing that could have been done a different way. It then goes into a marking system where the marker and a second marker and a moderator can look at the content, do that, uh, uh, that marking efficiently wherever they are in the world and make sure that that content comes back to you. And maybe it's a marker that might prefer to give you recorded feedback, verbal feedback, or maybe you're a learner who needs your feedback spoken to you rather than written down. It's that utterly integrated experience of, of, of marks and learning resources and systems joined up and connected that we're building. And it's personalized. Mm. That interface that you're, you're working with is one that you get to change. So our virtual learning environment is one where, certainly in Leicester now, we have a consistent interface for every single module that you take. So whatever course you're taking on, whatever undergraduate program, it looks the same, but you can kind of tweak it and reframe it so that it, it's right for you. And it's gives you the opposite opportunity to interact so we introduced a system just this year where students can pull out their mobile phones in a in a lecture and the lecturer can suddenly take a quick straw poll or can suddenly show an image and say show me on this artwork or show me on this map or show me on this engine or show me on this anatomy where you think the you know the particular key point is and suddenly a heat map appears where you know people are putting their points or it might be a mathematician saying okay what's the answer to this particular question and the students are generating numbers and then almost like a number Cloud of their answers is, is 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 building there on the spot. So the students are you know they're getting a seamless experience. They're getting a personalised experience. They're getting the tools that they need for delivery. But I think the final thing I'd say on this is we're also keeping them safe. You know that 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 digital environment is is one where we can make sure they're okay. You know it's, in all those touch points of data, a little kind of check-ins. They're little micro nods to us that. They're they're still around and they're still interacting with their learning. So when those don't start blinking for us, we can sort of lean in and go, are you okay?" We can see you weren't there yesterday. We can see that you weren't interacting with that reading list or you haven't been online for some time. And that's something we haven't been able to do in universities. We've relied too much on just trust and vigilance of of the staff. But now those learning analytics can make sure that we're, we're looking out for our students and keeping them safe in a way that we haven't been able to do before.
2: No, it's, it's really uh, fascinating listening to that. I mean, the words that come to me is is that the, the big difference is that that in this richer, um, more expansive environment, it, it feels like the students are more engaged. But also I get the, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that they're, however we define this, kind of more educated, that, that, that they're getting a better education. I'm, I'm not sure what the Latin word educare means i think it's isn't it to sort of pour out or something like that um but 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 it's it, it's like their experience of education is 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 a richer experience so you're getting a more engaged and a more educated um set of students i think it's one that's more dialogic i think we've got because we're
1: not wasting time on just queuing up for physical books in the library what, what
2: does, or- what does dialogic
1: mean? Okay, so there's it's a conversation. It's it's two way. It's an interaction. So rather than that person standing at the front of the room saying, I've only got you for 45 minutes. And now let me just download and tell you what you need to hear. And please write down as fast as you can everything I'm saying, because we can record that lecture before and do what some academics are now calling the flipped lecture, which is, okay. I recorded this lecture last week go and look at it online on the device that you feel comfortable with at the time of day that you feel comfortable watching it at a speed that you're comfortable with, with captioning that works well for your, you know, your preferred language. And then when we come together, you won't just stand, uh, sit passively and make notes for 45 minutes. What we'll do, we'll have a conversation. Um, So we'll flip the entire thing. So we're, we're able to do the technology is allowing us to rethink the entire model for doing higher education and and where the power is how the conversation works and how we best use our time and our resource and it means that much more now is about ideas much more is about creativity
2: you know what much more is about learning Mm. yeah no it sounds it sounds wonderful sounds like such a uh, a, a more appealing way to to learn, and El, just kind of relating this back into the the museum sector and your experience around that. Um, I mean, we we are talking about um, the digital and the physical. Um, is there a sort of trade off in in the museum sector between the uh, these two different kind of domains, uh, or is that a bit of a false dichotomy? <laughs>
0: I, I I think we have to be careful how we answer that I, I think that they very similar to the digital campus and and the experience that's been cultivated there um, it is how do you create a digital space that has the spirit, the energy, uh, the resources that the physical museum has? Um, How how do you capture that in the digital ecosystem? How do you make it easy, not just for those people that are physically going to visit your museum and are looking at your your digital presence, your digital ecosystem? Are they looking at it beyond just a, I need to know directions how to get there? Or are they really, at interacting with the essence of the museum, that com- all the communities that it serves, understanding the different points of views, or what they could enter the museum with, but we also have to realize that it, it's it's not just it's not just getting the the physical footfall but there are people that are going to enter our digital doorways that will never be able to step into our museum. So how do we capture and create an experience, create pathways that are just as relevant to them? How they can access our online collections, what they can learn, how they can uh, have the behind the scenes and interaction with museum staff and resources that they wouldn't be able or they can't get by coming to the physical museum. So we have to be able to, to recognize that there are Different audiences, different paths, and how do we how do we create and organize a digital ecosystem that can capture that spirit, that energy, and that integration, so that no one audience uh, feels like it's a it's a one size all one size fits all type of approach, but that it's catered to them. That the museum was made, that experience was made for them.
2: Mm. Yeah and and when you're both talking about the, the the way that this comes together it sort of reminds me of um uh an experience I had at the envisioning lab in at Microsoft's headquarters in in Seattle recently and and they do various different um scenarios about how they think the future of work and life's going to be and, and one of the things that struck me, there was a, a, a sort of simulation, a demo, the technology doesn't yet exist, of, of a, um, a virtual meeting happening um, with crystal clear audio and video between the two different environments. But actually the way that they had enhanced the experience uh, for the people in both, in the meeting, um, in the two locations, was that they had really kind of, thought about some quite subtle things, such as different camera angles, so that when somebody's talking, you could pick up more of the emotion. Um, And they had um, an AI system listening into the meeting. And what it was doing was rather like you said, Ross, it's, it's offering up different links to different things. So, for instance, if the AI was listening to what I've been talking about, it'd give you, it give us all a kind of link into um, the Microsoft Envisioning Lab and maybe some visuals around it, and and it would also um, uh, offer things to you as interesting tidbits or links. And at the end of the meeting, it would consolidate all the different actions and discussion points, maybe prompt any um, conversations, and and just. So the meeting happens, but actually you feel like you've got a kind of supporting arm helping you do this. Um one of the things I'm just sort of wondering about, Ross, is is um when you're looking at the kind of digital campus, it it, it sounds like quite a daunting uh kind of programme. And I wonder what the I wonder what the kind of what are what are the big challenges do you think that that need to get kind of address to enable this vision if you like to be to be realized well it's it's it's
1: probably no surprise to hear number one is know what your vision is um Mm. have have a clear sense of what of what the destination is you know if, if you and i think that's one of the reasons why we we settled on that phrase digital campus quite early because you know, to walk into a room and start talking about ah, oh, it's data and systems and people and objects and connectivity to a wider ecosystem and 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 actually, this is about you know engaging audiences and empowering staff and optimizing operations and innovating products. You know you could see you could see a room full of learners or academic colleagues or professional service colleagues just you know leaning back in their seats and zoning out if you know if we went in like that. But if we could go in and say what we're going to do together, over the next three years, is we're going to build a digital campus. You know, you see the room lean in and you say, and this is what it's going to be about. You know, it's it's, it's going to be about providing a seamless, personalised, safe environment for discovery, and learning and teaching. But, you know, the room gets exactly what you mean. And then I think it was, you know, the, the other daunting bit is, you know, get get clarity on that vision um, and and have a clear story about how you're going to get there. And, th- and that was hard. You know, there are so many, there are seven digital skills and capabilities Projects that you know we're running at the moment. We've had a huge digital learning environment um, program running that uh, was about you know three big projects around integration and interface and and interaction um, that you know involved the registry and IT services and quality office and the Leicester Learning Institute and you know and various other parts of the organisation. But actually, you know, I I need and you know, my colleagues need a very clear story um, that says this is why we this is how we're going to get there and that's why you know, I'm able to give a postcard out to the executive board that just has two pictures on it that says, there's the skills and capabilities program, there's the learning environment program, you know, consumable, memorable kind of picture that allows you to kind of just understand exactly where you are. And then the final bits, the obvious, but you know, have the vision, know the narrative. And, you know, the hard bit is making sure that and ensuring that everyone trusts you that that you know that you can get them there. And that trust is 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 just putting in the time with people. And, you know, Lauren will know this from her extraordinary work working in U.S. corporate sector and the different businesses where she was, you know, kind of leading digital transformation there. You know, you cannot put enough time into just um, spending time with people. Um, You know, calling out where people are are, are kind of resistant and confronting those those kind of obstacles, um, creating energy, building optimism, um, creating a kind of culture of excitement around that around that change and and not underestimating that digital transformation is not just going to be a you know a, a project initiation document and a series of of milestones and outputs but actually it's about bringing you know human beings along with you and and making sure they're feeling okay about that change and you know that that's the that's the challenge and that's the complexity
2: and and l what when you when we when we take the digital campus uh concept forward for for University of Leicester Uh, 10 years from now what 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 do you feel like what what do you see what what's 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 the kind of uh where where does this concept go
0: would ten years like it ten today? years is a ten years is a long time for uh, mm-hmm. you know considering how technology is changing at such a rapid clip I I kind of you know want the the whole matrix experience where I can just you know <laughs> download all of that wonderful goodness um, and and then be able to pause and have very you know great intellectual conversations because I've been able to absorb that information quite quickly um, to be able to reflect and still have that critical thinking element um, you know but I think at the end of the day, no matter what the technology enables us to do, what I think we have to keep in mind is that We're still dealing with human to human relationships and Mm. and being able to manage and change, manage the change, the behaviors, the fears and cultivate safe spaces to be able to learn differently, to think differently, to act differently. That is going to remain consistent, constant um, and a pain point, a friction point that we have to look at as both a gap and an opportunity and that no matter what allows us to better enable communication and collaboration it's we still have to focus on the human element we can't lose that
2: Mm. absolutely and the the image that came into my mind and it's something that i've had for a while but you know technology moves probably more slowly than we think it's going to but you know um there's various companies looking at mixed reality virtual reality augmented reality i i could imagine 10 years from now you walk through the campus and you will see, you know, we're quite comfortable with the idea that people have got uh, small computers where they're talking to people who aren't physically there uh, and they're interacting. Um, I think you'll see very uh, lifelike versions of people who aren't physically there talking to people who are physically there. And I think that um, that experience will probably start to become quite natural and it's to me it's a kind of enhancement of 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 the phone call of the video uh, connection and it will allow organizations physically to connect to a larger um, uh, set of institutions and people around the world um so um question that i like to end with and 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 we uh, in the last few minutes is is um i'll start with you el what's 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 a perfect working day look like for you
0: <laughs> a great wi-fi connection in a stimulating environment um I, I i i like i i do like visual stimulation and and whether it is in an office environment open plan, whatever it may be, or being able to work from a museum, um, to be able to work from a park, to be able to work from a public space, being able to be connected and have a cohesive experience so that I can get my work done I can communicate with my colleagues I can exchange information in real time um, we can have open and transparent insights into our practices and processes it doesn't matter where we're located how, how do we how do we have that experience and so for me just you know the Wi-Fi connection and and being stimulated is is the best way to ensure that I'm going to have a productive work day
2: fantastic thank you and and Ross. What, what's a perfect
1: yeah i get to have lots of different sorts of perfects i said to you i've got two jobs i think really i've got three because there's the perfect day as a teacher there's mm. the perfect day as the researcher and then there's the perfect day as the you know that administrator and and university leader and and you know they are different but i think if you were to find the common denominators underneath them I don't know, it would always be it would always be people orientated. You know, it, it has to be about me interacting with as many people as possible. That's what excites me. You know, the day that I'm sitting on my own all day is is not a great day. Um uh, I think it's about problem solving for me. You know, what I just is just joyous and delicious and an utter privilege about working in a university is that you're constantly, you know, your currency's ideas and you're problem solving all the time. Um, and it's constantly new and difficult and, and something else to be sorted each day. I like the days that are packed full. You know, I, I uh, again when I'm I'm doing one thing in a day, it's it's not a great day for me. I like that day where I'm just moving from one thing to the other, and and you know peripatetic as well. You know, f- through throughout the day, moving, being active, the exciting thing, the extraordinary thing about a university campus, which is just mind blowing, is that you know you have the those thousand academics and those you know eleven thousand campus based students all on this site together, all moving around between a building about physics a building full of geography and geology a building that's a medical school a building that's all about the arts and languages and and you're moving physically through that space there's maybe something about the museum there something about ideas being made architectural something about you know a learning journey being a physical journey through a day so yeah my perfect day is when it's collaborative when it's smart when it's busy and when it's active
2: great thank you and um Final question for for you, L. And any anything, any final reflections from you? Anything that, that I haven't asked you, you wished I'd asked you? Anything you'd like to just say before we end?
0: I I, I think I'll end with something that I I, I said during the uh, the 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 twenty four event um, mm-hmm. earlier this year, and that is you know just to remember to think human. Um, we get caught up in in the wonderful flash and brilliance of what technology can offer. But we really need to think about how our end users are going to experience it. And in order to, to build the best external experience, we have to internally understand what we are doing and how we are providing it and become digitally literate ourselves in order to build those capabilities that allow us to have that Wonderful experience provided to you, whomever we serve.
2: Mm, fantastic, thank you. And and Ross, any any final comments from you?
1: I think it's just it's it's carrying on a conversation, Paul, that you and I have had, you know, over over, over recent times, which is about. What, what a university could offer this whole discussion and thinking and practice around the digital workplace. I think, you know, for those of us that work in museums, I, I'd say, those who work in universities, I'd say, you know, don't take for granted the, the sort of organisation you're in. Um, you know, you, you're quite unique in, in terms of what happens on a campus. And and for those colleagues that are working outside of, of universities, I'd say, you know, come and talk to us, come and, come and see what we're doing, because we're this quite extraordinary, exceptional, unique place where we're a teaching place, you know, we're a learning, but we're like a school. So all those things you hear about, you know, how schools are changing, how education is changing, how the classroom is changing, you know, we're doing that but at the same time, we're also a research facility. So in terms of, you know, industrial design, in terms of research and development and those environments for working with business and working, working with enterprise, we have to do those things as well. And all the smart, clever tools that we need for those environments. At the same time that we need to be just a good business, you know, in terms of our HR, in terms of our finance, in terms of our estate, you know, we, we, we need to develop as a place for kind of for working, co-working in a, in, in, in collaborative and interesting ways. So we're doing all three of those at the same time. And that, that makes it an extraordinary place because those three things can interplay off each other because suddenly... That teaching environment gets inspired by the research environment, and the research environment gets inspired by what it 's seeing in the kind of the administrative and business side of things, and so on so come and talk to us and and you know because we we 're keen to learn from you and maybe come and learn from us
2: that's that's great thank you and the The thought that came into my mind i don 't know why um, this idea of of keeping in mind the human is is i think one of the things we need to start to collectively pat ourselves on the back about is that I've heard from probably the last 25 years that machines are going to dominate they're going to take over and human beings will be bit parts in their in the machine story and I think in 2019 what we see what we experience is actually uh, a lot of a lot of humanity in in the way that we're working with technology not to say it's not got its challenges but essentially we are creating a world where the digital the technology is in service of the human beings um, and we should the pat ourselves on the back bit is we we talked about it we thought about it and and some of this we're really getting right um more work to be done there always is so thank you so much to both of you thank you so much L for your contributions today, and and thank you so much to you, Ross. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy supporting more than 100 leading businesses and public institutions to advance their intranets and broader digital workplaces through benchmarking research and practitioner expertise. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. And if you'd like to listen to previous episodes of the show, go to digitalworkplacegroup.com forward slash DWG underscore podcast. This is Paul Miller wishing you well until next time.